I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, the hunt for the motive behind the Gilroy Garlic Festival shooting. Reporter Rachel Swan is here to talk about how the FBI is digging into the shooter's online conversations in the past, searching an apartment he recently rented in Nevada, and using analysts and profilers to try to understand one of the worst crimes in Bay Area history. Rachel Swan, right after this. Rachel Swan, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Damien. It is Wednesday afternoon as I talk to you. You and others are still reporting on the terrible shooting that killed at least three people at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. What is the latest in the investigation into why this shooting occurred? What we know as of today is that the FBI is looking into what they've described as threads of conversations. We know that they're trying to reconstruct a digital profile of this killer. They're looking at thumb drives. They're looking at phones. They're looking at cell tower data. They're looking at computers. So what they've said today suggests that they've found perhaps something salient in uh, conversations he's had on the internet. Yeah, multiple threads of conversations suggest that perhaps uh, they found something on his computers. In the first couple days, we didn't know whether they had unearthed uh, these kinds of things. We saw that that he was on Instagram, um, but he doesn't have much of a digital footprint out there on places like Facebook or Twitter. Right. But it sounds like they have found some things. Exactly. So given that uh, and what we've reported, um, they were really stressing that they weren't there yet in terms of a motive, in terms of whether he had any kind of ideology that, that drove it. What did they say? At this point in time, the FBI is being very cautious. What's publicly available to us is very limited. But even within that, we can see observers can see a lot of conflicting things about this guy's identity, about his character, about who he professed to be online. Um, Well, let's talk about that. I mean, you've reported on uh, Instagram posts that the shooter appeared to make right before uh, the violence, correct? Yes. And what what did those say? Kind of creepily, he was apparently posting on Instagram as he was lurking outside the fairgrounds or perhaps even inside the fairgrounds. Like his first post is a post of the fairground or what appear to be the fairgrounds. You know, we see white tents and um, revelers going in and he's sort of jeering about, oh, it's garlic festival time. And he uses some expletives like about the festival being overpriced. And then it quickly turns very dark. And um, his next post, actually his last post right before the shooting is this picture of Smokey Bear and a fire danger warning. Read into that what you may Um, And he starts insinuating something about the demographic changes um, in the South Bay. He uses a slur for Latinos and um, another slur for Silicon Valley women. Um, And after that, he touts a, um, a a 19th century text called Might is Right, which is a social Darwinist, white supremacist type text that's sort of getting a revival in all right circles of the internet right now. One thing we've heard from John Bennett, who heads the um, FBI 
here in the Bay Area, is helping with the investigation, keeps reminding us that just because someone has an ideological book in his or her house does not mean that that person leans one way or the other. Okay, so that that brings us to um, your reporting. You've been talking to a lot of um, people and experts about the trends in these mass shootings. Um, again, the FBI has been very careful, but yeah. there's a lot of concern about whether this shooting was uh, inspired by some sort of hatred um, by the shooter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially, I mean, just referring to what we know, what, what was briefly available publicly um, on the internet, uh, this guy, you know, he's he's touting this text that's also been promoted by neo Nazis. I mean, like, and right before the shooting. Yes, exactly. You know, and I mean, some experts that I've spoken with saw this as part of a theme that we've seen in extremist killings um, or like a, a trope, if you will, of of um, these these um, these guys. They're they're almost always men, young men um, seeing themselves as warriors for a larger cause. And what shootings have we seen some of these same hallmarks in? Um, you know, the first that comes to mind, there was one in April in um, San Diego at a synagogue that was also committed by a 19 year old um, where I believe he also had a, a um, some messages that he passed around on some of these alt right Internet sites. Uh, the Christchurch shooting is from last year in New Zealand and at the mosques was a big one that comes to mind. In that case, the guy had like this huge document that he distributed online right before the the shooting that was called the great replacement um it was actually based on something called replacement theory that's sort of getting its revival in alt-right circles um it's like a misogynist anti-immigrant theory about uh white men being replaced by non-white people because white women do not have enough babies um yeah well i remember in in charleston obviously yeah. that chant that the um, yes alt-right folks were were chanting you will not replace us jews will not replace us yes some of this is a little uncomfortable to talk about but um yeah that that's been kind of a theme in a lot of these you know hate crimes and killings and it's it's there's a lot of that that's like a recurring thing online. I talked to some experts yesterday who talked about the proliferation of this hashtag white genocide, which is kind of related to that, you know, um, white white men feeling that they're under attack. You know, this is the this is the Internet environment that we live in. You know, there's there's all these groups proliferating online and and disseminating this idea, you know, of, um, I guess, white men being endangered. Well, you um, mentioned online. I mean, why is the Internet so powerful? Um, why, why do some of these experts see the Internet as being something that has brought this? I mean, one expert I talked to gave me this really interesting, it's, it's a little bit flip, but it was a really kind of interesting analogy. And he talked about how, you know, we've always had, hate 
right? We've always had groups that hate one another. But in the old days, like before there was an internet, you know, maybe you were some type of loner who gravitated to a hate group and your hate group met at a bar and you played darts and you talked about hateful things and you played your hate games and you shared your hate literature and your hate music, right? Mm -hmm. But you had a face-to-face peer group and you had people to, to some degree, moderate your behavior, you know? I mean, even if people committed violence, there was a level, there was a direction, you know, there were... You know, there's kind of like there's actual people, you know, and maybe the more violent people are on the fringe of that group. Right. But on the Internet, it's different. You don't have any you don't have a filter. You don't have face to face interaction. You just have this environment of 24 hour wall-to-wall hate where someone, you know, that's available anytime, day or night when you're feeling lonely and depressed and you're 19 and you're cleaved from your family and you're isolated and you're searching for something. Someone who may even validate the extreme thoughts that you have or or even egg you on in in some situations or at least that you feel like you can impress if you do something terrible. Exactly. So, I mean, not reading too much into this, you know, but this creates like the environment to sculpt a violent extremist. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's why that's why the Internet is in some ways inextricable from from so many of these mass killings. It's yeah, it's frightening. Um, One last question before I let you go, Rachel. Um, There was a lot of reporting in the beginning. The police were talking about looking into whether a second suspect was at the Garlic Festival. They were pursuing someone. Um, Some witnesses described a second person. Um, What do we know about that? At this point, they've they've largely stamped out the theory of the second suspect. Um, And that kind of goes back to this being a hallmark of these types of mass shootings that we've seen recently. You, in most cases, the assailant acts alone. Got it. All right. Rachel, thanks again for coming in. Thank you. Thanks to reporter Rachel Swan for being our guest, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.